this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 98, the sixth part of the history of six-day races, running as far as you can in six days. In this episode, in 1875, Edward Payson Weston and Daniel O'Leary raced against each other for six days for the championship of the world. Wow! I would like to thank those of you who have signed up to be a patron for Ultra Running History. Here's a shout out to our latest Patreon members. Thomas Zoti of New Hampshire and Peter Keogh of Connecticut. Please help this podcast by becoming an Ultra Running History patron. You can sign up to contribute a few dollars each month. Go to ultrarunninghistory.com slash member to become my partner. Will do. Now to the story, the race to walk 500 miles in six days. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more Just to be the man who walks a thousand miles to fall down at your door In 1875, Edward Payson Weston was the most famous ultra-runner, or pedestrian, in the world. Like a heavyweight boxing champion dodging his competition to keep his crown, he avoided repeated challenges to race against the up-and-comer Daniel O'Leary of Chicago, Illinois. The two were the most famous American athletes in 1875. The sporting world was wondering if Weston and O'Leary would ever compete head-to-head in a fair race. Finally, on October 30th, 1875, it was announced that Weston and O'Leary would compete in a six-day race on November 15th with $5,000 going to the winner and $2,500 to the loser. O'Leary's men had approached Weston offering $500 extra to cover his expenses. It was just too much money for Weston to resist, potentially about $140,000 in today's value. The venue would be in the massive new Interstate Exposition Building in Chicago. The building, measuring 800 by 400 feet, had recently opened on the lakefront. The announcement created great excitement across the country. To many at the time, it was similar to the dream matchup between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier in 1971, regarded as the biggest boxing match in history. I am the greatest! However, there were critics against holding the event. In Ottawa, Illinois, it was written, What benefit can it be to anybody whether they walk 100 or 1,000 miles in six days? A horse or mule able to walk 600 miles in six days might be worthy of something. But who cares how many miles Weston or O'Leary can walk in a day or a month so long as they don't kill themselves? Also in Mobile, Alabama, Suppose these men had plows. Wouldn't they add something in the way of the wealth of the world? Weston arrived in Chicago nearly three days before the November race and stayed at the luxurious Gardner House next to the exposition building on the Lake Michigan lakefront. It was reported, He is in good condition and confident of success. O'Leary also is in excellent trim and confident of victory as his opponent. The contest will no doubt prove very exciting. 
Wagering was heavy, with Western being a slight favorite. The Chicago Tribune gave a pre-race commentary about the two pedestrians. O'Leary has made some excellent feats, and has but one failure to his credit, while Weston, with also a good record of times, has a considerable number of bad fizzles on his list of attempts. Both men have before attempted the 500-mile walk, and both have succeeded. O'Leary made the distance in a little over 153 hours, while Weston covered the same ground in 10 hours less. However, some doubt was cast on the accuracy of the timing and measurements which resulted. O'Leary visited Weston and talked over plans for the race. Weston inspected the track and gave his approval. Two separate tracks would be used, the outer six laps to a mile and the inner seven laps to a mile. Weston was offered his choice, and he picked the inside track. Spectators began to assemble in the building an hour before the start on November 15, 1875. There wasn't a huge crowd, only about 100 people, and consisted mostly of men interested in sports. A reporter visited O'Leary in his room on the east side of the building, where he lay on a lounge covered with blankets. His wife was there, along with friends and a doctor. O'Leary had first intended to walk 100 miles in the first 18 hours and 118 miles in the first 24 hours, but changed his strategy to simply aim to beat Weston. Weston arrived later and came up to the judges' stand at midnight. O'Leary soon joined him, and a crowd gathered around to watch the start and gave loud applause. The two athletes shook hands and wished each other well. Weston wore the black velvet suit he had used in his previous matches, knee pants, boots, a light linen hat, a silk ribbon thrown across his shoulders, white gloves, and carried a light whip in his hand. O'Leary wore white tights, a striped tunic, and light walking shoes. He wore no hat and carried a pine stick in each hand. O'Leary's wife stood near his track with a nervous look on her face. Mayor Harvey Colvin, the starter, gave a short speech. He hoped that the city would treat the visiting Weston well. The two walkers took their places on their tracks. Mayor Colvin counted, one, two, three, and off they went. The second six-day race in history began at 12.08 a.m. O'Leary shot out fast, completing the first mile in 11 minutes and 3 seconds, with Weston in 12.46. After that, O'Leary settled into a steadier pace, and after two miles, they were just six seconds apart. The two walkers plodded around during the early morning and didn't take a rest until mid-morning when O'Leary, in the lead, reached 50 miles in 9 hours 23 minutes. He then went off the track for his first rest for 27 minutes. On his return, he was often accompanied by his handlers who helped pace him. Weston took his first rest of only 11 minutes at mile 76, just a few miles behind. The walking styles of the two competitors were quite different. O'Leary walked straight with a quick stride and bent arms. He conveys the impression of walking with more exertion than Weston, and his crooked arm helps to give an air of labor. Weston seemed to drag his feet, then throw them with a long swinging step with his arms at each side. O'Leary held his head up, looking around him, while Weston always looked sharply down and saw nothing but the dirt ahead of him. During the afternoon, the crowd grew to about 500, 
and they were allowed to remain on the floor close to the action. In the evening, the assemblage grew significantly, especially with ladies. I love you, Weston! A band was in presence a portion of the day and evening and played rather dolefully, but very loud music at intervals, such as the wind of the performers dictated. How did Chicago treat the visiting and controversial Weston? He was treated well during the race with one exception. Once a man used insulting language to him as he passed. Weston, you humbug! He at once stopped his travel and demanded of his competitor that the man be cast forth, and the act was accomplished without harm by the police. A large contingent of police was in attendance, doing crowd control, driving back the crowd from time to time. During that first evening, there was a surprising skirmish in the audience. Fifteen-year-old Albert Morton had recently escaped from a nearby prison and showed up to watch the race. A police officer noticed him in the crowd and approached to make an arrest. Albert drew a razor and attempted to carve the officer. A well-directed blow with a club subjected Albert. He was taken before a judge and had 90 days added to his 10-month sentence for burglary and stealing a watch and chain. O'Leary reached 100 miles in 20 hours, 58 minutes. At 110 miles, he was 20 miles ahead of Weston and retired to his room for a few hours sleep. Weston also went to his room at the Gardner house for five hours of sleep. On the morning of day two, both of the determined walkers were back on the track by 4 a.m. and put in constant miles without any long rest during the day. During the evening, a rumor was circulated around the city that Weston had broken down and had resigned from the race. Read all about it! Weston quit! People started to flock to the building to celebrate O'Leary's victory. A reporter went to Gardner House to validate the report. Weston had just finished his supper and was angry about the false report. He stated that he was not thinking about quitting, that his physical condition was good and he was pleased with his progress. Weston returned to the track after his supper and continued to walk all evening. He made efforts to please the audience with gestures, songs, imitating actors, and, quote, other recreations. He claimed that he never felt better and reached mile 168 by midnight. O'Leary stopped for the night at 10.30 p.m. after reaching mile 190. It was speculated that Weston was playing a waiting game, expecting that O'Leary would crumble by day four or five. But O'Leary had walked strongly that day and at no time showed any signs of exhaustion. After three hours of sleep on day three, O'Leary returned to the track at 1.30 a.m. About dawn, he experienced a bad nosebleed and needed to stop for an hour to take care of it. During the morning, a man came into the building and handed a note to one of O'Leary's handlers. It was a formal challenge for O'Leary to walk 150 miles against the man. The challenge was consigned to the flames. The audience size grew each day. 
Reporters issued complaints that the race staff were providing them abominable accommodations, being jammed into the crowd without seats, despite the free coverage they were giving in their papers about the event. They said, It was impossible for newspaper men to make reports while hanging over a railing to which their chins hardly reached. O'Leary extended his lead by five miles that day. The score at midnight was O'Leary 273 miles, Weston 247 miles. How are the two walkers doing on day four? O'Leary wears the same thoughtful look that has characterized him during the contest, while Weston keeps up that jolly good humor for which he is noted. Another observer remarked, O'Leary looked somewhat hollow-eyed and weary-looking in the face, but still was perfectly self-possessed and sometimes would stop or dawdle around in the coolest manner possible, stopping to chat and exchange salutations with his friends. Mayor Colvin put in an appearance during the day and walked with Weston around the track a few times. It was commented, A few laps were sufficient to show he does not shine with any particular brilliance as a walker. At 11.40 p.m., O'Leary passed the judge's stand and shouted, I bid you all good night. He reached 350 miles. Weston continued until midnight, reaching 314 miles. Each day, O'Leary was increasing his lead. During the evening on day five, it was believed that of the two, Weston looked to be in better condition. The evening throng was amazing. The audience was simply immense. The floors and galleries were densely thronged, and at a moderate calculation, there could have not been less than 8,000 people present, among them many ladies. Weston reached 390 miles, and O'Leary was at 425 miles. On the final day, O'Leary started his walking at 4.30 a.m., looking as well as could be expected. He walked very steadily all day and did not show fatigue. Weston started at the same time, but not looking fresh. The scene of the last day in the exposition building was astonishing and hard to imagine. It was packed with a lengthy line of people waiting on the street to reach the ticket office. Men going home from work dropped by to see how things were going. In the evening, the rush was said to be unparalleled. The approaches to the building were surrounded by a surging mass of humanity, eager to procure tickets. Excitement could not have reached a higher pitch. The crowd was dense, sweeping hither and thither, shouting, yelling, or cheering. The crowd represented wealth, brains, thieves, gamblers, and roughs. Ladies were there in large numbers, but all had a terribly hard time of it in the ceasingly moving and noisy throng. It was amazing to see dignified gentlemen in neckties standing next to those of the lower class, cheering together. Go! There was an estimated 8,000 people in the building, mostly of which were orderly working men with their wife and children. Many boys and men climbed for higher perches in the building, trusses near the roof, on top of a large town clock, and on the elevator. Though the crowd made a great deal of noise, it was very good-natured, and though it felt pleased with O'Leary's feet, it did not forget to heartily cheer the New York lad. In the evening, O'Leary had reached his 488th mile, while Weston had only walked 14 miles so far that day and was at 439 miles. 
As O'Leary continued to close in on 500 miles, the crowd cheered loudly as he went by. Even though Weston was beat, he was encouraged on with cries of bully boy and go in. After O'Leary reached his 497th mile, chaos ensued. At this time, the crowd seized the track and was driven back with the greatest difficulty. Many went through the ropes to gather between the tracks used by the walkers. Weston looked very weary and dejected, but kept plodding along. As O'Leary neared the judges' stand on his 500th mile, a terrific cheer rent the air. Hats flew, the band played, and the pedestrian's wife presented him with a magnificent basket of flowers. He reached 500 miles in a world record 143 hours, 13 minutes. He then continued and set a new six-day world record of 503 miles. Weston reached 451 miles. O'Leary was presented with a massive gold medal as champion of the world, and then the two men were taken safely away from the crowd. The event was a great financial success, bringing in about $16,000 for the week, valued at $400,000 in today's value. O'Leary and Weston divided the net gate proceeds, each receiving about $5,500. They both became very wealthy. O'Leary would invest much of it back into the sport. Weston would spend most of it on his extravagant lifestyle, always spending more than he earned. The next evening, a reporter went to interview Weston at his room in Gardner House. Weston looked, quote, fresh as a schoolboy after a vacation. He talked about his loss in the race. He wished that he would have pushed to walk 100 miles on the first day when he was fresh and wished he had slept on Sunday before the race. Then came an excuse. The fumes from the furnace of a peanut stand bothered him, got into his head, and affected his sleep during the race. He said, The gas from the charcoal got into my head, though I did not notice it at the time. When asked about O'Leary, he said he was the fastest walker he had ever met, and he still believed he could beat him in a very long race, even though he did not this time. Months later, after Weston was frustrated with continual reminders about his defeat by O'Leary, he brought forth a new excuse that had never been reported on during the race. He said that some Chicagoans had sprayed pepper in his face as he walked, and others threatened to shoot him. This was likely untrue, and just sour grapes for not performing as well as he had hoped. He got them The reporter next visited O'Leary in his home, a modest little furniture store where the family lived in the rear. O'Leary was cheerful and chatty and didn't seem to be phased by his efforts during the past week. He said that he had slept only a total of 16 hours during the entire week. While he stopped more often than Weston, he was convinced that his speed could win the walk. Once he established a big lead, he didn't see any reason to be in a big hurry and held back. Of Weston, O'Leary said, He is an extraordinary man. He can endure more hardship than any man I have ever seen. His method of walking is one I wouldn't have any criticism about. O'Leary started to receive challenges from random unknown walkers, which he ignored. He was willing to walk against Weston or any other man if the money was worth it. 
but at that time he didn't plan to compete for the next six months. He believed that someday he would compete in England. As could be expected, Chicago gloated over the victory. The Chicago Tribune cheered, The Chicago boy has shown that his powers of endurance and strength are greater than those of the man from New York, and has proved himself a champion and has won the title of champion pedestrian of the world. O'Leary retired with baskets of flowers and a huge gold medal, while Weston retired with nothing to speak of but the lead he put in his boots, his ruffled shirt and green trimmings and remembrance of his folly in supposing that, after dilly-dallying along for three or four days, that he could make up the distance on the last day and come out ahead. Another Chicago paper wrote, Old Weston was beaten. The pampered and favored child of the eastern metropolis was done for. We would like to know now what New York thinks of herself. Notwithstanding this gorgeous triumph, New Yorkers will still be welcomed at our hotels and will be fed at the same rates as other people. Still, many in Chicago thought the entire event was a waste of time. If the two wanted to race again, it was hoped that they would choose a different city. The most grateful thing that O'Leary and West End could do is walk off to St. Louis. The people there need amusement. In Wisconsin, We cannot regard the performance as anything than a show conducted for money-making purposes. The exhibition was perhaps one degree above a prize fight. And a strange one from New York. Now that O'Leary has outwalked Weston and extinguished himself, it is suggested that someone should outwalk and extinguish O'Leary, and then commit suicide. The cruel comments about Weston again surfaced. In Mississippi, There are two things that we are opposed to, skunks and Weston the walkest. Chicago has just had a dose of Weston. It would be a blessing to the community if Weston could only be induced to work in some steam mill where there could be a good prospect of an early explosion. <laughs> O'Leary had proved that he was a worthy opponent for Weston, and probably better. It was time to take this new popular sport internationally. Stay tuned as the six-day race heads back to England. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>